We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. going on everybody welcome to our lineup hq uh show here today on roto grinders i'm Britt divine here with chris jimino uh on our last show that we did like this we kind of showed you the ins and outs of the lineup builder uh, on lineup hq to kind of how to make lineups and today we're going to do something a little bit different we're going to go kind of back in time to yesterday we're going to go in our own little dfs time machine and we're going to look back using some of the things on roto grinders like results db we're going to look at Slate IQ. We're going to look at some of the winners of yesterday. And we're going to kind of examine what they did throughout kind of all, all the different contests, single entry, 20 max, 150 max. And we're going to try to look ahead and try to build lineups like they do a little bit. So this is going to be a little bit more in-depth show, uh, a little bit more advanced. Uh, if you like last week's show or you're a new user, don't worry. This will be available on demand and you'll be able to watch it. Uh, but Jamino, I am pumped for this. Uh, thanks for joining me yet again. Uh, I think this is going to be a really good show. Yeah, for sure. We're we're going to definitely see some differences in how people build their lineups in single entry, 20 max, and the full 150 max. And I think there's definitely things you need to do in lineup HQ when you're building lineups differently, depending on what type of contest you're playing and really what your goals are in DFS. Like, Britt, some people, they want, they're happy grinding out a 5% ROI. And some people are happy enough to, like, you know, just hit a big score once every X period of time. And I think you really have to know who you are and how you want to play when you're setting up line at HQ each day. And if you don't know that, you need to try to answer that for yourself as soon as possible. Yeah. So what I want to do first here to start the show is I want to step back to yesterday while it's still fresh in our minds. And I want to try to understand what the field did, what the field may have done right what the field may have done wrong, examine some of the lineups that may have won yesterday, maybe try to look at why they won. And you can do a lot of that stuff here on Roto-Grinders. Um, we have a great tool. It's called ResultsDB. 
Uh, I've got it pulled up here. Uh, you can see there's, there's kind of a list of all the contests from yesterday. Uh, I've pulled out a couple. I've got the single entry. Uh, I've got the 20 max, and then I've got the big MME tournament from yesterday. Uh, it was nice. One of the best or, you know, probably maybe even the best awesome. I'll happen to win uh, and have a good lineup yesterday. So maybe we'll take a look at some of his, his construction. But the main thing I want to go, Chris, is, is we pulled off some stuff that it's not in results DB, but uh, it's kind of like the stacks people used yesterday. We had Houston approaching what? It was like a seven run total. And not only this is kind of like the, the DFS thoughts, not only was it a seven run total for them, but they went off the day before and their spot got even better. And what I'm looking at on this chart right here, this is the sum of four and five man stacks across uh, DraftKings yesterday in the uh, the low buy-in 150 max, the $4.20 max, and then this is the $12 single entry. And I've never really come across anything like this. I look at stuff like this a lot. The Houston ownership yesterday, based off all these factors, seems absolutely astronomical. And under no circumstance, uh, I did not do GPPs yesterday, so I want to make that clear. But I don't know how you could have made a Houston stack yesterday if you knew the field was going to be this highly on. Now, we don't know that. Slate IQ can kind of help that. But even Slate IQ couldn't keep up with what the field was going to do yesterday. So, so let's try to talk about how to take advantage of the field if things like this are going to happen uh, across the landscape of tournaments. Right. So, I mean, we did kind of have an idea that Houston was going to be really highly owned yesterday, right? And there's, and we did look at some tournaments, you and I, before this show. And we did see that there were a couple of players who out, outright full-faded Houston pretty much on that exact premise. But it's pretty easy to see that if you just didn't play Houston yesterday and you were playing one of these big tournaments trying to get first place, it was one of the occasions where it would have given you an advantage. It's not to say that you should avoid teams in seven-run totals against terrible pitchers and terrible bullpens. It's just to say that when you're spreading out your exposure, you need to consider the possibility that a team that's going to have 25% of the field on it is necessarily not the best place to find leverage. Yeah, and we have I pulled up Slate IQ from yesterday too. So Slate IQ does a good job looking back historically. It's for premium members here. But it tries to figure out <clears throat> based off the, the closest 25 slates, um, you know, there's not too many slates with a seven-run total that involve Houston or things like that. But it kind of looks at similar slates. Based off of that, how did the field stack in those? Now, it does look historically, and people stack more now than ever. So the stacking rate, we'll, we'll show that in a little bit, too. Um, can, you know, it's a little bit higher than I think the Slate IQ will show on most days. But we had Houston pegged as negative leverage. Um, you know, if we would have bumped up, imagine if in Slate IQ, if you would have bumped Houston up to this type of ownership, it would have been the most negative leverage stack, I think, that's ever been on Slate IQ. Easily. That, that's definitely one of the highest stacks we've seen all year. And we've seen a lot of good stacks this year. It's just, it was just an obvious spot on a shorter type of a slate, eight games. And, it, you know, there were some players that really capitalized on this. I think we talked about a guy who ended up winning a qualifier with a pretty low scoring stack just because mm -hmm. he really didn't follow the lead of the other players in that high stakes tournament. Yep. Um, so yeah, Slate IQ can kind of give you an idea of what the field might do historically. There's just, there's all these like extras and I think what really led Houston to be super overowned was this was the biggest total we've seen all year and they had come off that big game last time where if you played them everybody went off plus they were facing an even worse pitcher and in, in an even better situation and it just led the field as a whole 
to just all bum rush into Houston. And it was pretty affordable too. You could make, you know, you could get your Houston stacks pretty easily. These are things that don't show up, you know, as good as our projected ownership can be, it can account for all these things. As good as everything out there is at giving um, sort of projections, we, you just can't account for what people are going to be. Oh man, I played Houston yesterday and they went nuts for me. Now they're in an even better spot. I'm going all in on, on, on them again. And that's what the field seemed to have did yesterday. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was pretty surprising when I pulled up these numbers. The next thing I want to talk about, Chris, is, and we'll talk about how to make teams and lineup HQ in a little bit to basically determine, you know, based on the contest you're playing, what type of teams you should be doing here. And a lot of people like the single entry and the three max. I think it's a more fair, more how DFS kind of came up. Um, it's a little bit more fair way to play. But what happens in those tournaments is not only, you know, uh, in 150 max Houston's three times the field in a single entry, they're over four times the next highest owned stack out here. The stack gets even more consolidated in single entries. People also stack way less. I'll show you the actual numbers on that in a little bit here, but let's start at the single entry and talk some strategy on how to play those. And I could bring up Slate IQ probably again and and basically, if I'm playing a single entry or probably even a three max tournament, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at Slate IQ in the field, and I'm probably not going to play the top two teams because I think the chalk gets so consolidated in those tournaments that the Slate IQ leverage, which is made for like the 150 MME field type of tournaments, the leverage that you can get on the field by simply just not playing the top two stacks in the single and three max entries is probably like double or maybe even triple what Slate IQ will tell you most days. Yeah, I mean, for, I mean, forget that because I think it's pretty difficult to just say I'm never going to play the top two teams. There's always circumstances where you might do that. But I think if you just scroll down to the bottom and look at the total stack owners, the total stacks on the single entry versus what you see in MME and 20 max and the other formats, you actually see people are stacking less in those formats. So just stacking to begin with ends up giving you an advantage. And if you can find a way to do so on one of the higher leverage teams, or at least a team that isn't necessarily one of the, the chalk teams in these tournaments, because look, you mentioned Houston yesterday, they actually increased in ownership as the entries went down, which is pretty rare. You see every other team got lower as it went down. In, in total maximum number of entries mm -hmm. but just to say the least if making a stack and not just playing a cash type team in some of these single entry tournaments is a way that you could potentially get an edge we see if we go to results tv we can see who won that tournament what they did i'm pretty sure the guy used to buy a man stack and i'm pretty sure it was one of the stacks that was not one of the top two owned well you know who won it was awesome okay. <laughs> no no one of the best players uh you know in in dfs happened to win he also won the 20 max and he had a top three entry in the uh the large mme field uh, i've got his lineup pulled up here so i, I want to talk about how to create sort of like a single entry or three max lineup and i think like no surprise awesome knows how to do that and his lineup won so what do we what can we draw from this the first thing i noticed is one Chris, I don't see any Houston players. Maybe the smartest, one of the smartest DFS players might know something about that, right? Not to stack the highest owned team in a single entry. Maybe he's onto something there. I see a mix of some chalky players. I see a mix of some low owned players. You know, I, this looks like a lineup that 
should win a single entry tournament. Yeah, there's that Texas stack. You know, you've got what, two guys that are chalky in that stack, and then the rest of the guys, Chu and Ronald Guzman, you know, they're not they're not necessarily the highest owned guys. You know, you've got two of the five guys under seven, you know, seven and a half percent owned on an eight game slate. It's not like playing those chalk guys, Odor, Mazzara, and Cal who necessarily made his you know, usage of that stack particularly chalky. I mean, it was he was gonna be pretty much by himself if he won a five man stack when only half the field stacking. Yeah, and he's had uh, what just looks like a five with a bunch of one-offs. Uh, our boy Ben Boom, by the way, we were talking about him pre-show. Uh, we nothing no, DFS. What are DFS players? No, we, we don't love anything more than a two K catcher, right? Um, yeah. may, maybe his mom looks good. Maybe his mom doesn't. I don't know if that swayed his ownership, but we we like two K catchers. Uh, his ownership was pretty high. Uh, I, I could see using him as a total punt because it just opens up the rest of your lineup to get a low on Kenta Maeda. Uh, to get the upside of a guy like Patrick Corbin, to get the power the power part of uh, the Texas lineup. Uh, I like his lineup quite a bit. It makes a lot of sense. And no surprise, it won. It's basically um, very close to what I would consider an optimal single entry lineup. Uh, as you can see here, if we go back to yesterday, Texas. What? A fourth, more than a fourth, the ownership of Houston uh, if if you told me any stack combined, so this is five and four man stacks, guys, this doesn't even include three man stacks. This is just five and four was going to be, I might even say 20% owned. I certainly wouldn't even come close to using it. You just step down the ladder just a little bit and you, and you start to get uh, a lot of leverage using the, the third and the fourth stacks uh, that, you know, on ownership. Yeah. I mean, Texas was the second highest owned team, like I said. So, I mean, that's a rare situation where you have a really, really chalky first team. But still, it's not like Osmo went down to the to the bottom of the scale and found the most off the board team. He just basically made a simple pivot and it ended up paying off big time. Um, so the next thing I want to do is I want to talk a little bit more as we go from single entry. I don't have the three max on here, but I have the twenty max, and then I have MME on here as well, the hundred and fifty max. What happens in these fields? It still looks like Houston, uh, specifically in twenty max, was really high, but then. The, the next higher stacks, it really gets shuffled up towards the top much quicker. Um, and there's also a lot more stacks as well. As we, as we move into the, you know, the, uh, the algorithms and lineup HQ making lineups, instead of clicking them by hand and single entry, we all of a sudden start getting more stacks into the field here. So uh, I think even in single entry, you should probably be stacking five and four mans. It's obvious the field probably doesn't do it a lot at near 50%. Uh, I was blown away by, you know, earlier in the season, the stacking was definitely a lot less than it is now. The field plays pretty optimal. And in the 20 max, the best of the best can play on this. It's a $4 entry on DraftKings. So how do you make some lineups in a 20 max uh, that have a chance to take it down? Um, we'll talk about it in lineup HQ, but what's your overall thoughts on the stacks here? Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's not going to vary that much differently than how I would play a one 50 max I'm simply looking to not just load up on those top teams my personal style I think everyone can have a different style I think that there are people who will find teams they like and they'll go all in on a couple of teams that they think have a really good chance I like to try to get exposure to a lot of high leverage team and hope and hope one of those high leverage stacks banks up towards the top of the tournament like I want like a basically a diverse field in my population so I would have been looking at this you know, at Slate IQ yesterday and trying to find the teams on this list that were showing me leverage and not necessarily just the teams that were low up. 
So if we go and sort Slate IQ by the highest leverage, we had teams like <clears throat> Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee, Miami. Uh, I don't think um, you know Miami, even though they scored zero, someone out there won a qualifier with them. Um, but it kind of gives you an idea which teams are going to be under-owned based on a lot of historical factors if you use Slate IQ. And you can pick and choose a couple of them, but you know, I generally will almost never play the extreme hot negative leverage teams. And if we knew Houston was going to be as highly owned as they were, they certainly would have been like minus 200% leverage if we knew Houston was going to garner the ownership that they did last year. And you see Texas pop in there with a little bit of leverage there. Again, this there's a whole other conversation to be had about Slate IQ, but just the point is I would be trying to find teams that I could make heads or tails of that I didn't think were going to be as highly owned as their chance to win the tournament and trying to spread that out across those 20 teams. Yep. Um, we move to kind of MME of the 150 max. And it's just that, you know, we get a 25, actually a 50% jump in the amount of stacks in these tournaments. These are usually, um, you know, probably about 40%, 30 to 40% of the tournament is made up of people who actually put in 150. And all of them are basically every single one of those 150 is going to be a good correlated stack. And you should be stacking in these huge, large field tournaments um, to get as much correlation into your lineup as possible. I still think Houston probably shouldn't be almost three times as highly owned as the next team here. Uh, I don't think anyone was projecting Houston to have this much stack ownership. If you did, you certainly would have faded it and gone more into this range instead of using them. Um, how, how do you, you know, if you know a team is going to be the super chalk, I think if we look at Slate IQ for tonight, Correct me if I'm wrong. It looks like the Twins are going to be super chalky. I'm, I'm behind on today's uh, ownership. Am I correct on that? Yeah, we're going to have an ownership update coming here real soon. You know, we, early day ownership is always going to be changing. But it, assuming that was true, yeah, I mean, you would have – there's certainly going to be some chalky teams on a five-game slate tonight. Yeah, so it's a little bit smaller slate. If one starts getting runaway ownership, I might – I don't know if I would fade it on a five-game slate, but I would certainly be very underweighted um, on a smaller slate today. Uh, how do you handle entering a large field tournament? You you mess around with lineup HQ and do some MME sometimes. Um, you're the wizard behind the scenes on a lot of our projected ownership. How do you handle what you feel is going to be an overly chalky team when you enter? You know, it depends. And, and yesterday, I mean, the situation was just so good for Houston that I wouldn't have had zero Houston teams, right? Like mm -hmm. I didn't, I think I played 10 lineups yesterday on FanDuel. I didn't even really get too involved with the slate, but I did have a couple of Houston teams in there just because I'm not going to let that situation go completely off my map. I think there's plenty of guys on that team, even if I didn't stack it as my five-man stack, they could be on the three side of a 5-3 or, or a 4-4 four, four to me. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not someone who's going to usually outright fade a team, but I will go underweight the field, and that's exactly what I did. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, we, we looked at some guys who like to do some different strategies going a little underweight on Houston yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably the best way to do it is even, no team, regardless of how good the situation is in MLB is worth 23% stacks. I'm sorry. Yeah. So let's, I've pulled up the 20 max and I've got Osimo here. Uh, he also won the 20 max with the exact same lineup, but uh, I don't know if there's really any Houston in here. You know, I'm, I'm clicking, I'm clicking, I'm clicking. I don't see any Houston in here. If we go to the ownerships, we can kind of see what he used in a 20 max. You can see he was overweight. Um, a lot of people don't understand that results DB. There's a lot of stuff you can do in there. 
Um, and, and it's interesting to kind of look at some of what the, what the top players do. So you can see who he used over here versus the field. And I'm, I'm going to do a quick check on Carlos Correa. One of his 20 lineups had Carlos Correa in it. So it looks like if you're asking me, I don't know what he did, but it looks like he kind of understood that Houston was probably going to be overowned and decided to go underweight, if not almost outright fade them, at least specifically for the for the 20 man tournament. Yeah, and 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 again, you know, that's it's it's not something that I think every player is gonna do. I think I mean you see you got a taste of Correa. I'm not sure if he had anybody else there on Houston, but clearly that was the move last night. And it's 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 why some of these players are considered mm-hmm. the best in the world. They're able to identify when these situations are occurring using projected ownership and they're able to structure their lineups accordingly. So uh, you know, the, there's lots of risk that you feel. You don't feel good about not taking a seven-run team, but when he's got, uh, you know, all these wins under his belt using strategies that are very similar to this, I think it's pretty clear that you should be considering, you know, maybe getting a little bolder in your strategy in these big, uh, you know, top-heavy payout structures. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it looks like uh, maybe he had, like, two Astro stacks. I see a couple Astros in there, but it's certainly under whatever the field was. I'm trying, you know, if you're trying to get into a player's head, you can do that a little bit. Uh, I would have looked at anybody who had won this tournament. It just so happened yesterday, Awesome happened to win. He's on the top of the Roto-Grinders rankings, uh, a very good player. So we're throwing him out here uh, to you guys to, to maybe try to learn uh, a little bit about what he can do. And um, maybe we can try to recreate this a little bit in lineup HQ. Uh, before we jump into some things on lineup HQ, I want to talk about the pitchers real quick across the landscape of tournaments. Because while we see Houston being at the top here, you know, pretty consistently by a wide margin. Pitching doesn't really change too much is, is kind of what I noticed. This is just one specific thing from yesterday. But if you're playing pitchers in the 150 max, you're probably playing them in the single entry and you're playing them in the 20 max. The ownership doesn't really change too much uh, as a whole. What's your overall thought on, you know, trying to change your pitchers for the specific tournament you're in? My thought would be if I'm using – like yesterday, if I was using Verlander and Erod or some combination of these top three pitchers, I certainly wouldn't have Houston players in there, right? Like I wouldn't go all chalk. I would make sure I have sort of like we saw with Osimo's number one uh, lineup in the single entry. I would have a variety of chalky and I would have a variety of low owned players here, but I don't really have too many takeaways here. I tried to find something on this page. Uh, nothing really standing out to me. Yeah, I think maybe the biggest takeaway is that in, in the in NFL DFS, when you have situations that are lower variance, so, you know, high, easily high projected touch totals, pretty high likelihood of a high floor ceiling combination. You look at NBA DFS where it's easier to project player performances, those bell curves are more predictable. Something like a pitcher is going to have a lower variance range. You're not going to see – I mean, there's definitely variance. There's definitely reasons to take low on pitchers. But all I'm saying is if this ownership's the same and you're playing against your opponents across different buy-in levels, there's really no reason to be overtly playing the ownership game unless you're seeing something like a Maeda where you spot high upside that's available at low ownership. You're certainly not fading a guy just for high ownership. Yeah, uh, just a, a good mix. My general strategy, we talked about this on our first show, right? When um, the, the projected ownership gets a little bit more dialed in, you can set a min and a max, and it sort of automatically makes all your lineups not be overly chalky or something like that. And that's generally going to be my strategy when my uh, when I am ME. I mean, if you had 
you had like e- Verlander and Erod with a Houston stack yesterday, I don't even want to know, but you're probably fighting literally like 20% of the field just on that specific combo. You just have to get the exact five Astros. Your two pitchers have to go off. All your other one-offs have to go off over the other thousands of people that have it. There's too many people to fight against there. So I, I force all my lineups and lineup HQ to basically not look anything like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, th- I think just, again, just going back to across buy-in levels, though, was the question. Yep. I wouldn't be shifting it across buy-in levels and, and overall a little bit less variance at the pitcher position. So I'm not playing the ownership game as hard. Maybe the combo game, like you said, but definitely not the individual pitcher ownership game. All right. So what I want to do is uh, I want to look at Osimo and I want to try to think about what he was doing yesterday, right? We can kind of look at what he did here on results DB. This is a 20 max and I, I, I want to win the 20 max tonight, Chris, and I'm sure our viewers want to win the 20 max tonight and they want to win everything tonight. So out of how many pitchers were on the slate last night, I forgot off the top of my head, but here he used one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine pitchers. And of those nine, he used four of them just once. So he was pretty heavily concentrated uh, on Verlander, Corbin, um, he had Urena, uh, Lopez was cheap and allowed him to kind of get some of the bats that he want. And he had some Maeda, the Maeda lineup ended up winning for him. I want to go into lineup HQ and I want to try to think on a 20 max, right? If I'm going to make 20 lineups on here and I'm looking at pitching for tonight, I'm behind on actual analysis for tonight. I've been trying to get this show ready. How many pitchers is enough? How many, you know, how many pitchers is too few? If we're trying to look at what Osimo did with playing like seven or eight, and we can look at the stacks, it looks like that's pretty varied. How do we recreate something like that in lineup HQ? Yeah, so there's never going to be an answer where it's like, this is how many you play on any yes. given time. It's always going to be different. But on a site like tonight, I mean, I, I can't imagine you're going to have like a super wide range. There's, you know, there's only a couple of good pitchers on the entire slate. So again, it's going to vary slate by slate. But I, I'm not I'm not going to suggest that you take a super wide base on most nights. You're usually able to identify a core, depending on the slate size, somewhere between, you know, five and eight i don't know that's that's you you exclude because i'll trim i don't trim my player pool a ton but when i mme i definitely trim my player pool in certain spots i'll take out sort of like uh eight and nine hitters that i don't really like and if i really don't like a pitcher i will just completely exclude them out of here do you do that or do you kind of let the projections do you do anything to change it um i i certainly do things like that i don't do a ton of it but I will exclude certain players when I'm making my picks. Yeah, I think everyone's got their own style in this regard. I do exclude some pitchers from my pool when I'm making teams. Uh, I think that I've heard others talk about not wanting to do any exclusions whatsoever and just really trusting their projections. I mean, we've got the bat here. That's uh, a great projection source. You know, trusting what the bat tells you is never a terrible idea. You know, it's, there's a lot baked into those numbers that's really trying to, trying to guide you in the right direction. But that being said, you know, there's never going to be a situation where I'm going to love the idea of getting Dylan Covey into my lineup, even against the Blue Jays. Even, and again, I'm not saying don't play Dylan Covey tonight. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. you know, he's just, as an example, someone that I'm not going to be fist pumping and really all that interested in getting a lot of exposure to. Yeah, his plate IQ score looks horrible. The ownership's low. I'll generally, if I don't have interest in pitchers, pitchers is where I'll do the most excluding. I'll really narrow down my player pool. There'll be a, a wide swath of guys I, I like, but if I specifically don't like a guy, 
uh, I will exclude him. So a guy like uh, Covey would certainly fit that. Uh, what do you do for hitters? I usually wait until the orders are out, and and I'll kind of go team by team and sort by order. And if if I don't want uh, Albert or Almora hitting in front of the pitcher right in the National League, I tend to take out the the number eight hitters in the National League quite a bit. They get walked. The walks don't really do too much. The hitter gets out too much, uh, and you can kind of see the bat projection um, kind of factors all that in here. And then also, I don't want to have like two, three, four, five, and then an eight hitter with like too big of a gap between the rest of them. It just helps some of my lineups look a little bit better. Um, so, so that's a little tip and trick that I do sometimes. Yeah, there's certainly ways to, to solve that issue. But at the end of the day, I'm not excluding many hitters at all. I mean, I have to really hate a guy if I'm excluding him from my player pool because I just want the lineup builder to have access to every combination and every possible way of trying to get a team that's, you know, fitting my parameters, especially if, you know, that particular guy is someone that I wouldn't consider. I don't, I just, I don't want to be crossing guys off and trying to do, you know, shorting myself the opportunity to find the stack I'm looking for. Um, so if I go back to the 20 max here, I got to find it one second. So many tabs open. It's got to be this one. Here we go. Uh, and, and we go back and we look at Osimo and we, we try to look at his lineups and, and try to understand what he was doing a catcher. It looks like a pretty wide swath of teams. Um, and if you go through the actual teams, it's a pretty, there's five with no, you know, no team stack. There's five threes, there's four fours. It's a, it's a pretty wide swath of not just teams, but also stack types in there. Uh, we can kind of do something, you know, I don't know how he makes his teams. I'm sure he has advanced databases and all that stuff that kind of spit out sort of what he, what he actually wants, but you can sort of recreate some of these things in lineup HQ using the quick stacks. How, how what stack do you normally make on a night? It's, it's, it's always tough now with quick stacks. What I tend to, what I uh, am doing with quick stacks is I, I always like to make more teams than I'm entering. I like to go in Excel. I like to randomize those teams. And then I throw them into the CSV on DraftKings or FanDuel. I, I like to make a lot of teams that I know I would like how they're built, but then just like make more. And then it just kind of randomly throws them in there. That's how I like to do it. Um, if you just wanted to make 20 lineups, how on earth do you decide of those 20, I want five to be five, three, three to be five, two, four to be four, four. H how do you come to this sort of, uh, you know, idea? I know Slate IQ has some stack leverage. If I go to last night, we can see the highest leverage stack was four, four and five, three, pretty much your anything that's five or four, four is almost always positive leverage. And almost anything that's not, that's going to be negative leverage. I'll typically stick to see basically what you see right there as the stacks I make but I don't know which one I should be making more of. It just really varies day to day. Yeah, actually, it varies for me by slate size. And I think that there's some pretty good data out there on this that basically says as the slate gets smaller, the value of stacking decreases. I mean, I shouldn't say the value of stacking, the value of full stacking decreases. So getting those five-man stacks in there, if you looked at the early run of Slate IQ today, actually five-man stacks are all negative, and it's the four-man stacks are the ones that you'd be looking to do. So four three ones and four fours and four, you know, you maybe – using smaller stacks and more one-offs as a way to, to really build it on a shorter type of a slate. And that just makes sense. There's fewer teams available to go off. So 
when I'm going to build teams tonight, I'm going to be using more four-man stacks than usual. Um, all right. So how how about a good mix of four fours or four threes? These are all kind of I, I pretty much only stick to these when I'm doing the quick stacks. I don't mess around too much down here. I want to have some correlation in there. But you're saying tonight, normally I'm, I'm more of a 5-3, a 5-X, a 4-4. Four, four, but slate IQ on the smaller slates, mix in some 4-3s, things like that, just to kind of get some more diversity. We don't know what's going to happen in any single baseball slate. And if you're trying to make a long-term strategy, uh, I think one viable way is to just sort of mix everything together, all your teams, all your stacks. You just do it all day, every day. And I think that's a reasonable way to play. I always say this, it's it's hard to win, but there's a lot of different ways to win. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, load up on those four-man stacks, man. You got you got to trust the data here. Get it, get it done. All right, so we'll go 40. We'll go 20. And then what does that leave me? 40 here, 45 threes, or mix it up a little bit, 20 and 20. There you go. Sound good? Let's do it. Did I pass? Uh, so if we wanted to play a wide variety of stacks, what do we have? This is, you kind of got to do a little bit of math sometimes, right? So we have five games, that's 10 teams. If I set primary stack at 10, I would get one of each of my primary stacks. And then I would just keep cycling through in here today. Do you let it do whatever you want? Or let's say, right, like, I, I don't really like Pittsburgh too much. Or if you don't like a team, would you knock them down to zero? you know, maybe bump everybody else up, but then take Pittsburgh back down to zero or something like that. How, how do you handle trying to make a wide swath of teams? Yeah, so I, I definitely go, you know, if I'm making 20 teams, like I, I don't like to try to get it all done in one swap. But if I was, I would definitely be cutting out a lot of teams and really putting a limited number of teams on the primary stack side and right, really trying to keep it to the teams I'm trying to use to find leverage. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know what team we might go to tonight. That's not going to be that. Or maybe Cincinnati. I mean, they'll, they'll have some ownership. Everyone will have some ownership tonight. But, I mean, you know, that would be a team that I would put over here on the primary stack side. And then mm -hmm. I would have pretty much all the teams available on the secondary stack side and not exclude too many there. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to try to – we're running a little bit low on time here, so we're going to cut this down here and just try to, try to make some teams um, – just show you, you know, these aren't the actual settings. We're going to do a show uh, at some point where we get a little bit more deeper into how to actually make teams, depending on what you want to do. We just don't have as much time today. But uh, let's, uh, I got to go back to my build settings. I just got to make 20 lineups. And what do you like? You like four players. I like three players. I like some range of outcomes. You don't like range of outcomes. Does all this look good to you? Yep, let's go. All right. I, I do want to cap my max ownership, though. I want to make note. I think that's always good. Um, you can run it without first. We don't have too many settings, so it sure, should churn through these pretty quickly. And you'll get an idea of what the highest owned teams are between pitchers and hitters. You can see, right, we're getting some huge ownership, 224s, 195s. If I see a 224, I've never really seen anything like that, but it's a smaller slate. I almost want to cap my ownership at something like a, a 170, just to make sure I don't get uber chalky teams. You know, does that sound okay to you? Sure, do it, yep. All right, so so we'll go back. That's just a quick tip. Take a look at what the total ownership is on some of the teams before you set it, and then I like to knock it back just a little bit to make sure I don't get the uber chalk. I just don't want to fight the same battle everyone else is trying to do tonight. And, and you can see here, 
the ownership has kind of decreased. The teams do look a little bit different. Um, you can see the stacks I've got here. You can see the combos I've got. And, and you can notice I've got a very wide variety throughout my 20 teams. I've got Chicago and Minnesota, Toronto and Pittsburgh, all these teams in five threes. Then I've got a pretty wide combination of four fours and four threes. And it's nice to be able to see this now because if for some reason I'm noticing, right, like you mentioned you like Cincinnati and we've got them quite a bit here. But if you didn't like Cincinnati that much, you could just go back to the build rules and hitter stacks. You could knock them back a little bit and then you're going to get more of some other teams here. So it's pretty easy to, to fix things like that. You got any new tips and tricks with some of the, the new fancy features we have here? Yeah, so I think the just I just kind of want to circle back to the point of what we were talking about before was right here in the lineup builder. You know, if you're building for for 20 max or, or multi-entry, you know, we're going to use this new quick stacks feature and we're going to try to set up based on the slate size, you know, what, you know, the, the proper distribution of stacks that we're looking for in terms of five-man and four-man stacks. And we're going to try to find some leverage against the field and maybe not load up on Houston's of the world when we get down here into the stack section and we're trying to build our stacks here. And really, you know, there's, we do have average ownership showing on this page. You can see which teams might be owned here on this page. You know, you're, you're going to want to be looking to try to get uh, a little bit of an advantage as you spread your teams out in the ownership department and maybe, you know, show a little bit more risk in these top heavy tournaments. If you're getting into a single entry, maybe you don't have to go all the way off the board when you're making these teams. You're really just looking to maybe not, you know, use your cash game lineup. Certainly you do want to maybe try to stack. And also you want to try to maybe avoid the top owned team because that's certainly going to be a way on some slates to get an advantage. Yeah, I feel like too many people put their cash game in the single entry. And I think that's very evident when you look at this page that there's just the stacking in the single entries is basically where stacking was at last year in the big tournaments. Now the stacking is absolutely through the roof in the, the large entry tournaments. But um, I think one of the biggest takeaways is if you're playing the single entry or even the three maxes where you're mostly hand building, too many people do not stack in those. So, um, you know, make it make at least like a four, three, something like that in your single entries. And I think you'd probably have a better shot at taking something like that down. Yep. And and like I said, you know, using that stacks page uh, as a as a way to sort of implement this is that's really where I would go to start operating uh, if I was going to make lineups here tonight in these different tournaments, trying to find uh, the distribution of teams and the and and the proper ownership to to leverage on this slate. And you can see here, right, the average ownership, right? Minnesota looks chalky right now. St. Louis, if one of those grows exponentially compared to the other, maybe you take a back seat on the top team and you look a little bit more at some of the teams just below that. If we were looking, trying to figure out sort of like the Houston example from last night. Uh, is another good thing to do. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's probably going to about do it, Jamino. Uh, we, we talked uh, about how to use the quick stacks, how to kind of look at the stack summary, how to use results DB to kind of go back and attempt to maybe emulate the thought process of somebody who won something last night, or, or if you just want to look at some of the results, there's a lot in there. We, we use Slate IQ to kind of determine, well, if a team's such high in negative leverage, do I really want to use them? Uh, I think the answer to that's probably no. There's a lot of fun stuff here at Roto Grinders. Um, we're doing these series to kind of get you guys used to to looking at them and how to actually implement the information we're giving you in your team building. So there's lots of new stuff. 
and always new stuff coming along the way. I uh, think I had a pretty fun show with you today, Chris. Yep, we'll have more. All right. Uh, see you guys. Thanks for watching. Uh, we got actual DFS stuff coming up next. Uh, I'm Britt. He's Chris Gimino. Thanks for watching. We out. Check.